0: All right, what's up closers? This is Dominic Caminata here with my partner, Nick Richmond. We're with Grasse University. Appreciate you tuning into our podcast here today. We've got a very exciting guest that we're going to be able to present. And this is a very special moment for us at Grasse University. This is our first ever Yes, I am a Closer podcast. And if you're not familiar with who we are, you may be asking yourself, <laughs> why would I take time out of my day to listen to these amateurs, right? So just a little bit of background myself and Nick Richmond, We have a combined over 30 years in the home improvement industry building some of the most high performing top-notch sales teams and home improvement businesses in the industry. So one thing that really sets us apart as a differentiator with Nick and myself is we are currently active in the business. And what that means is we're currently running and managing home improvement companies to this day, some of the most profitable and largest home improvement companies right now, the sales team that we currently actively manage represents $120 million in annual revenue selling it over 50% plus closing. And that's what really sets us apart from other consultants out there, is we are proving it time and time again in our own retail every day. Now, in terms of our Yes, I am a Closer podcast, it's our mission to give guests and our viewers an inside perspective at what the brightest minds in the business world, motivation, sales training, what they're doing to run profitable and successful organizations, especially during this time of crisis, <laughs> You may be wondering, you know, how am I going to succeed and move forward when the whole world seems to be shutting down? We're going to give you an inside perspective of what the top minds are doing to succeed. And we're very excited about our first guest. Uh, He's currently proving that right now. Uh, We just got done talking with him briefly before this podcast. He said business is better than it's ever been for him. (laughs) He's grown like a rabbit farm on a hormone diet. Uh, This guest, uh, we were fortunate enough uh, last year to be on his podcast. And we had a very amazing discussion and we found that we had a lot of similarities and we're here to uh, basically expose his content to the home services industry. And this guy has an incredible life story that we want to talk about, of course, and his straight line selling system that he created, we find is a perfect system for home improvement service companies just like you who may be watching this. He's claimed author of The Way of the Wolf and, of course, The Wolf of Wall Street, where the movie was based off of. So without further ado, we'd like to welcome to our podcast, the Wolf himself, Mr. Jordan Belfort.
1: What's up? What's up? How are you guys? (laughs) Fantastic. How's it going, Jordan? (laughs) Doing great.
0: Yeah. So Jordan, you know, first, obviously I'd like to say thank you very much for taking time every day to be on our podcast. Uh, We really appreciate it. And we're excited to have you at the event next year in March. And kind of starting off, obviously a lot of the audience knows who you are and I'm sure a lot have seen the movie, but we'd like for you to just give a quick synopsis as to who is the real Jordan Belfort, and ultimately, how did you become one of the biggest sales icons in the world?
2: Well, I, I was one of those kids who was basically a born entrepreneur, born salesperson, you know, from the time I emerged from my mother's womb. You know, I always had jobs, selling stuff and little businesses when I was, you know, 8, 12, 13, 15, I mean, always something, whether it was the kid with the, uh, you know, selling his toys in the corner or the ice cream or lemonade stand. Um, and I did all that sort of stuff in my early years. Then when I was 16 years old, I you know, I hit it big for the first time um, selling ice cream and ices on a local beach. I was making a tremendous amount of money. Um, the equivalent today would be about um, maybe a thousand dollars a day while I was still in in high school. So that was so it was just incredible. Um, and then I um, went to college. Did really I was a very good student, right? And um, and I was going to be a dentist, believe it or not, because my mom had been telling me since I was like you know getting applesauce fed fed through the you know spoon in the mouth. You have to be a doctor or a dentist, you know. So I uh, actually applied to medical and dental school, got in, and then said, ah, I don't want to be a doctor because that's eight more years, ten more years. Maybe I'll just be a dentist. So I got in, went to one day of school, and dropped out, literally. I, I walked in and walked out. And then I in, and ended up answering an ad for a sales job, a real sales job. And I was 21 at the time. So everything I'd done before that was just more about really hustle and Yeah, hard work and not being scared to, uh, you know, take rejection, you know, a newspaper route, just knocking on people's doors. It wasn't like really sales per se that involved persuasion or large amounts of it at least. And and the first job I took was in the meat and seafood industry, was going door to door. And from literally the first day, I went out there on my own. And it it was a one day training program that taught you very little. And the first day on the job, from literally the first pitch that came out of my mouth, I realized I had this incredible talent. It was a God-given gift I had. And I, I shattered the company records like day one and never looked back. I mean, I you know, the, the average person was selling eight or 10 boxes of meat a day. I sold 35 on my first day and... Again, and and the the gap widened after that. I used that ability to close myself to launch my own business when I was still 21 years old. And um, I started making money selling meat for myself versus another company. And then I bought a second truck and started to train someone. And that's really when I noticed that I also had this ability to train people. It was a natural thing for me. I just kind of knew what they needed to hear. Um, this is way, way before I invented any systems that now are used around the world. I was just a very young guy, but intuitively I, I, I knew that some people had that special something. They they sounded good. They looked right. And when I say looked right, I don't mean necessarily handsome or not handsome, just looked body language, the way they just, there was a certain spark in their eye, the way they carried themselves. And, um, I was able to teach that to other people and my salespeople started doing really, really well. Um. Then the business itself though collapsed mostly because I made terrible mistakes. I did not um, take any courses in being an entrepreneur. In fact, you know they don't teach that stuff in college and and there was no blueprints back then. Nowadays, there's more you can do by educating yourself online, but I didn't have know the rule book for being a businessman. I screwed up, lost all my money, went bankrupt, and that's what led me to Wall Street. And I heard some uh, rumors about some some people I knew making a lot of money on Wall Street um, and I went down there, sold myself a job, basically. My resume wasn't looking that, that good at that point. I, had a, I was a dental school dropout who just declared bankruptcy, but I got myself a job at a very big firm. Six months I spent as a, a trainee, just you know, kind of connecting calls to someone else. And this is where I'm sure everyone has seen the movie, so you know, it's, a, I mean, it's a very well-known story at this point. Um, but then the market crashed my first day, and that forced me to go to a smaller firm, um, which was really sell, selling penny stocks, Um, but I had heard and and seen what had gone on at these big firms. So when I walked, was forced because of the crash of 87 to move to a small firm that was selling little, little no name stocks, I had the benefit of, of really what most people have never seen. I have seen both worlds. Um, and when I picked up the phone to actually start selling stock myself, my, my ability to do that was even more extreme than it was in the meet and seafood, like shattered the company records they won. Um, and I remember the manager that day very, just like the movie. It was just like the movie that scene where the kids were like, how did you do that? You know? And the, the manager was holding a recorder and wanted me what was, I never heard anything like that. Right? So I started training these kids, you know, that for this other company and everyone started making a lot of money. I was making maybe 70 or $80,000 a month and and then um I decided, you know, I'm gonna go into my own business again. Whole separate story. But I did. And I started off with these 12 kids, not that sharp, you know, none of them were really educated. Just so you see, understand, my group of kids, and I called them kids, they were 18 to 22. I was 23 now, so I was the old <laughs> man on the block, right? <laughs> and um, and these were kids that, you know, had never been told by their parents they were capable kid- of greatness. And any greatness they naturally had in them had been almost conditioned out of them since the day they were born, first by their parents, by their school teachers next, their own friends, the media. And they came into my boardroom, you know, it was a very small place. And, you know, no members of the Lucky Sperm Club, as we say, Um, no (laughs) Ivy League diplomas. They were kids that barely had clawed their way out of high school, right? And they started doing well selling penny stocks to average moms and pops. And it was a pretty, I well, us say relatively easy sale. You know, you call someone up who was basically financially disempowered. They were not wealthy. Maybe they had $500 to invest. So they looked at buying a $500 stock as almost like a lotto ticket, like a dollar and a dream. You know, it wasn't like a major investment that was gonna be scrutinized. It was more of an impulse sale. And I started training my guys and I had my own system back then. It didn't have a name. But it was really good it was a really good system and I taught these young kids to become expert closers selling penny stocks to average moms and pops and they were making about ten thousand dollars a month and that was really good it was amazing for me never these kids, were kids that thought they'd be working at 7-Eleven making 40 grand a year if it wasn't for this right <laughs> so they were really happy I was making about a million bucks a year and then one day it's about two or three months of that I'm lying in bed and I and put the idea pops in my head I'm like wait a second you know Why are we calling, you know, average moms and pops? When I was on Wall Street, we used to call the richest 1%. What if I would, you know, get, kind of mix those two together and I could sell, you know, penny stocks to the rich because the margins were much, much bigger. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had this, this idea and long story short, penny stocks could not be sold to rich people. It didn't work. But after a few trials and errors, I found this niche in the market which was selling $5 stocks, $5 to $10, to the richest 1% of Americans. And for whatever reason, no one had ever tried it before. And when I tested the idea myself, along with my junior partner, the Jonah Hill character in the movie, right? The results that we got was so extraordinary that I decided to reinvent the firm. Like to give you an idea of how extraordinary it was, the average trade in a penny stock was $500. And maybe you'd make $200 in commission. The average trade in the New York Stock Exchange stock could be a million dollars. Well, just so you know, the first trade, the first sale in this new system I created of calling rich people, the first sale was $120,000, one ticket, right? And our commission on that was (laughs) $60,000. So it it was like such a radical improvement. It was like, and I remember this day and I looked out into the boardroom and I said, holy shit, I said, all I got to do is train these 12 nincompoops to do what I'm doing and what Danny's doing. And I'm going to be a billion. I'll be the richest kid in America, right? You know, and that's it. The rest, as they say, will be history. And unfortunately, as they also say, easier said than done. As it turned out, to train a bunch of barely post-adolescent nincompoops to call the richest, toughest, meanest <laughs> investors in the world wasn't just difficult. It was freaking impossible. So after one month, of trying to get these guys to call rich people and close them. They hadn't opened up even one account, not even one. And meanwhile, and here was the thing that just was flipping me out is that Danny and myself, I was closing about 50% of the people I spoke to. Danny was closing 30 plus percent. And yet my guys calling the same people, reading the same script, same lead source, same system, selling the same stock, Zero, not even one, (laughs) and that was was shocking to me. How? What's going on here? What? I don't understand why we're we're doing the same things, but I'm getting one result, and my junior partner, who was also a born closer like me, he's getting that result. And these guys who are average salespeople, they can't even close one sale. What is wrong? And And that was really what sent me on a quest to across the country. You know, we didn't have online back then. There was no internet, so if you wanted to find things out. You had to go to the library and get books and go to seminars. And I, and I literally went on a tear and I studied every sales training program out there. I went to seminars. I flew clear across the country to California and I went to a seminar of all the purportedly greatest trainers in sales. And what I quickly realized is that their programs were not even nearly as good as mine. And, hmm. and my program, this was not the straight line. It was, just, it was an early program I had. I was like, if my program's not working and theirs is just complete dog shit, I'm stuck. There's <laughs> like, there's nowhere to go from here. So I was kind of in this box where I basically had no way out. And I went back to the to East Coast to my company. And at this point, my guys, the 12 people, were so negative because they hadn't closed any sales. They wanted to get back to um, selling, calling poor people. And it was in that moment, that evening, where I gave this long marathon sales training session where ultimately after about 15 minutes, some thought popped in my mind and I stumbled upon an entirely new way of looking at a sale and of training a salesperson. And that system I invented that evening came to be known as the straight line system. And it was a system that proved to be so profound, so so effective that within literally days of inventing that system, these kids that that couldn't close a door before this, right? They end up becoming within, like literally the next morning when it started, it was like, you couldn't believe what had happened. It was like a transformation. And they ended up becoming, the you know, the, you know all millionaires within a matter of 30, 60 days. And uh, my firm ended up becoming the largest one in America. And it all happened just like that because I invented this new way of training salespeople. And ultimately, every single day, um, you know, I, I would stand in front of the boardroom and give a meeting for about 40 minutes in the morning, an hour at night, two or three hours once a month as a marathon session. And they would rotate my meetings and they would write it all down. That became this manual, this early manual that was used to essentially build these straight line brokers who could be kids that like had never succeeded at anything. They could be dumb as a box of rocks. Um, They could have no natural sales ability, yet within literally days of learning the system, they would be rich. So that was how it all started. And the mistake I made was that you had all that power at a young age and I, you know, we went wild as you saw in the movie and, and, um, and it spiraled out of control, but the system itself remained. And that's what I teach today, a far more intensive version of that, scrubbed for ethics and integrity and anything that was questionable. So it really allowed me then to then, you know, really go around the world later on and teach this to people and change lives everywhere.
1: Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I mean, the story is amazing. And, you know, it's pretty ironic we're having this conversation because I'm not much of a reader. You know, Dominic will tell you. Mm -hmm. Uh, If it's not an audio book, I'm in big trouble. But uh, we have a lot in common. You know, I started at a young age. I was kind of a serial entrepreneur started a business in my early 20s with my brother, failed, made a lot of mistakes. We were really good at some things, really immature in other ways. Then we subsequently started the businesses we have now and we're successful. And There's so many similarities there. I'm just curious, you know, for those who are listening, especially, I think now is a time where people need to find that inner motivation. You know, they need to figure out what that why factor is. that's going to drive them and propel them. What would you say at a young age was driving that ambition and that hunger and then how has that changed, if at all, you know, from then till now? For, for me,
2: I think everyone's a bit different in this, in this regard. You know, um, I, I think part of, of, of being successful is realizing what are the things that you naturally do well? What are the areas that you naturally excel at? and one of those areas where you naturally struggle or don't do well and and you you know you find yourself always you know kind of behind the eight ball for me that aspect of desire and my why that was that was a given for me it was never i, I never had to even think that through i from as far back as i can remember from the age of 6 or 7 I mean, literally i remember always wanting to be rich wanting nice things and I you know, I think part of that has to do with growing up in a in a household um and in an area, especially in an area or a neighborhood that we had we what we were we, we were we weren't so poor that we didn't have food in the refrigerator. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like that. We had everything we needed, but not what we wanted. Mm-hmm. So like you so we were educated heavily educated. And we just, we had enough to know how much we didn't have, basically. And we always used to hear about this mythical place called Long Island, where the rich people lived. (laughs) And, you know, when I was very young, I didn't really care about all that because I'm like, wow, why would anyone want to live in a house? You know, we live in this apartment building and it's so great. All my friends are in the same building. We can run up and down the hallways and we can go to each other's houses without ever leaving the building. That was great when you're five, six, seven, eight, right? But as I started getting older, or I started saying, "Wait a second, there's something more out there, there's something better." So for me, in my own life, it was never really about a why at that young age. It wasn't, because my why was an automatic. It was so it was yeah. so deeply ingrained in my personality that the desire, the drive, the uh, I never had to think about that. For most people, it's not quite the case. You know, they they do suffer from a lack of motivation or drive, but I think a lot of that really has to do with other things. In other words, I, think it's, I think that the mistake people make when it comes to the inner game of success, meaning you know what happens up here, mindset, is they fail to realize how much the inner game of success and your outer world skills relate back and forth to one another. Because what happens is, I don't think there's anybody out there who doesn't want to live a better life that doesn't want to have more money, that doesn't want to be able to provide for their family and the people they love and their community and, and just have great things. Why would someone not want that? If you don't want that, then go live in Venezuela or something, right? But I think everyone wants that. I think what happens though is that most people in their heart of hearts, they don't really believe they possess the skills to achieve that. So what they'll end up doing is they they'll they might have tried a few things and failed at them at a very young age uh, or even didn't try but played it out in their mind's eye in their in their imagination like imagine if i started this business but when they do that they don't really see themselves succeeding they don't believe they possess the skills to make what they want in life to happen to actually happen they don't think they have what it takes to get the life they want so they start telling themselves a story about why it's not that important why they really don't need these things they almost down regulate their own desires to stop themselves from living in perpetual misery because if they you know if you want 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 so if you want so many things and yet you know you don't possess the skills to achieve those things you'll end up living a very depressed life because you'll always be wanting things you can't have mm-hmm. so I, I think what happens with a lot of people is that it's not so much that they don't need to find a why, maybe they had a why, but they've convinced themselves now that they don't really, it's really not, it's more fantasy than reality. So if I keep latching onto that sort of mindset, I'm gonna be uncomfortable and miserable and no one wants to live in misery. So they end up telling themselves a story and down-regulating what their vision of success is, which is why I've taken people that who you, you would you shockingly would think would never be people that would think big and dream big and wanna go for the brass ring. Once they learn the straight line system, which does include both inner world and outer world training. So it gives you both sides, the inner game and the outer, but it's what it is, it's the outer game skills. It's, it's, it's when you realize like, wait a second, I actually have what it takes to get whatever I want in life. When you actually believe that, all sorts of amazing things start to happen. You become more assertive. You don't settle for second best. You go after the things you want. You get motivated. And then you layer on top of that all the obvious things like identifying what your why is, what your purpose is, what your vision for the future is. But if you ask someone just to do that, just say what's your vision, what's your what, it becomes nonsense because if they don't believe they possess the skills to achieve it, It's a fantasy. So you have to work on both at the same time. Would you say there's still, there's no nobility in poverty? (laughs) I've been a rich man and been very, very happy. Really, really happy. I've been a rich man and I've been really, really miserable. I've been a poor man. I've been really, really miserable, terribly miserable. I have never been poor and happy. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, you know, to me, poverty is a passport to misery. It mm-hmm. stops me from, a, from anything else happening. So to me, money's a problem to be solved. Doesn't money doesn't buy happiness, so to speak, but a lack of it is a passport to misery.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I remember you saying that in your, your, well, the way of the wolf, when you would train somebody in the straight line and to possess this gift now to persuade and influence others you would see that transformation in how they carried themselves. Their posture was different. It was like they're a completely different human being. And one thing yeah. that you had mentioned that you define as your superpower is being able to train salespeople. And we we talked to hundreds of companies all over the country in the home improvement industry. And that seems to be a huge weakness for a lot of companies is the initial training mm-hmm. and then the post-training yeah. support and management. Sure. And that's what really blows us away about what you did is (laughs) a lot of the companies we consult with can barely find one day a week to train and motivate their salespeople, do a meeting. And you were doing that every single day, every single day. So I guess, you know, if you're giving someone advice on how, you know, the best things to keep in mind when you're training, nurturing and managing a salesperson, I guess, what would you say are some of those keys that they should be following?
2: Well, I mean, it starts before that. So... My in the last six months my business has has transformed radically. Um and I'm doing I'm doing better now than probably at any moment in my life. Seriously, in terms awesome. of how things are going. Um and the reason I'm doing so well right now is because of, of, of a of a a pivot that I made in my business, which I which I think that um that perhaps we should talk about later, because there might be some ways for us to do some stuff together. Uh, but certainly with the people that you that you um, help out there. So like, what I've noticed is that I'm the guy that gets called in when the sales force isn't working, or if the sales force is working and they just simply want me to make it work even better, right? And a lot yeah. of listen, let's. I mean, I listen. I'll flat out. Everyone steals my shit. Okay, and I'm okay with that, I don't care. I mean, because that's, God bless, it's America, okay? People take my stuff, my training, and they will take 30, 50% of it and then change a the little name here and then try to call it their own. That's fine, I don't care, God bless them, okay? You know, if someone gets too close, I'll sue them. But for the most part, I love ingenious people and, you know, I didn't invent persuasion, okay? I certainly perfected it, but I didn't invent it. And, you know, we all stand on the shoulders of other geniuses to get successful, and that's awesome. I just like when people give credit where credit is due. That being said, the problem for most of these companies doesn't start there. Mm -hmm. It doesn't start with training, okay? It doesn't start with the fact that people are just lacking the ability to close. It starts before that. They Pick the wrong people. Number one, they they find they the, the methodology out there right now in the world of sales for identifying, sourcing, testing, vetting, curating, and recruiting salespeople is is broken. is 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 inefficient at best and broken at worst. It's com- wildly inefficient. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening is because sales is that one thing that you cannot look at on a transcript you can't look at someone's college transcript you can't look at their history and say they're good they're bad there is no roadmap like that where if you're if someone from like general electric is going to hire an engineer or goldman sachs wants to hire a a banker or an analyst they look and say oh this guy went to yale he got a 4.0 he did they've done the work they've applied themselves you know that's a really good indicator of future success. You find these kids out there that since they're in third grade have done the right thing. They've Mm -hmm. gotten the highest marks on all their tests. And one step led to the next step led to the next step through college, you know, from high school to college to where they get these amazing high paying jobs and they get groomed and that's great. And the skills they learned in college helped them succeed in the workplace. It's the opposite in sales. It's the opposite. All those kids that didn't do well in school that maybe didn't want to even go to college or they went to college and did it in absentia, right? Those kids can do phenomenally well in the world of sales. It's so, so you can't look at transcripts in the same way. You can't look at colleges. They attended in some way. it's irrelevant. Far more relevant is what are certain natural personality traits and natural competencies that individuals possess that succeeded sales. In addition, you have to make sure that when someone shows up for a job at a company, they don't show up and have to learn on the job because they don't, they end up, what happens with a salesperson in the first 30 days is gonna dictate their success or failure mm-hmm. in the whole thing. If someone doesn't do well in the first month, they're done. They're gonna, and then not only are they done at that job, but 95% of the time they will never recover fully. There will never be a top producer and eventually they'll leave the world of sales, which is a shame because it's the highest paid profession in the world and there'll always be jobs as, as the salespeople who can close. So so you have this vicious cycle where companies go out there and they'll hire 100 salespeople each year. 65 or 70 will end up leaving in the first 90 days. They have this massive cycle of attrition and more attrition so they can scale their businesses. So it's like they're, you know, they're mouse chasing their own tail you know, and they keep hiring, firing, hiring. Terrible thing. So I I basically went back a step and interrupted that entire cycle. And I went out and built the most, you know, effective recruiting mechanism ever. So I have now a a company that vertically integrates the entire thing into one cohesive unit, where actually, I actually go out there and recruit people right out of college and also that are already out of college, but either in other sales jobs, not succeeding, because they didn't know what, what the fuck was going on, or they just didn't start off in sales. And you literally take them in and we actually retrain them. We hire them on behalf of big companies. And, but before they actually report to work, they go through a very intensive boot camp. So they actually are trained. They show up for the job that they're, they they've got hired for, fully trained to a razor's edge. And day one, when they show up, they hit the ground running. So what I do for companies is hunt companies now hire me, not just to train their salespeople. I deliver them fully trained salespeople in their own industry, no matter what that industry is. So I source them, I vet them, I test them, I pick out the very best ones, then train them to a razor's edge, deliver them to this company. And then I continue to coach them for a year after on an outsourced basis. So I coach them with my people to layer on top of their internal training and management. By doing that, you, cut attrition by 75 to 80%. Um, also, it's as it's, it's many other aspects of this, of this system, but what it does, it allows companies to scale at will. It's like an on-demand delivery service. Now that might say, oh, that's good. It's really, really difficult to do because the competencies to do all of those things is why it's so broken right now. So uh-huh. I actually had to go out there and pay, I had to design, man, I mean, it's been a, lot, it a very expensive proposition to be able to d- design the sort of software and test to get the right people to create a system like that. But it's working incredibly well. And so it's it's
1: really the future of what I'm doing. Yeah, the timing of that's great. I mean, we're finding at Grosso, that's something our clients want to know about. They're asking often about recruiting, hiring, finding the right salespeople. So we should definitely should talk offline and see if there's yeah, a fit we could, there. because
2: I have like, I typically I would do a joint venture. With, so I've done joint ventures with like someone in,
1: in the logistics, someone in the
2: auto industry, someone in the home improvement, right? And what we do is basically, you know, I, my, you have to understand my brand is so powerful of attracting sales talent. So if I advertise, one thing if XYZ company tries to find salespeople, if I say I am looking, I will get eight zillion applications for any job and the <laughs> best of the best salespeople come. And yeah. so it gives us, it allows companies who don't have a brand name to use my brand to pick out the very best sale. I'm like, you know, I, some of you, mostly you were probably too young for this, but there used to be something called the good housekeeping seal of approval. So I'm the equivalent of the good housekeeping seal of approval for salespeople. So while a company might not be able to get the top producers they want because they don't have the brand, if I out there on their behalf sourcing those people, I get the very best salespeople of all. So it allows me now to work with companies um, that are hiring. It's not meant for a company that's hiring two or three. It's not what we do. We're, we're talking about volume recruiting here, where we're doing you know, cl- you know, putting through large classes of expertly trained salespeople, um, and the results that we've been getting are, are like you can't even believe, shockingly great. Because what happens is when a salesperson shows up for the job, already trained, already trained, they literally can then hit the ground running day one the whole dynamic reverses itself. So as bad as attrition might be, it reverses. I, I believe it's, and so you think about this, just think about it. People graduate from college and they go to a sales job. They, they, don't, they don't possess one single skill. They need to succeed at this job, you know? So it's just like, what's the chances? If you're a natural born closer, yeah, you're really lucky. If you happen to fall into a company with an impeccably good training program, that's gonna hold your end, you get lucky. That's really, really rare.
1: So when yeah, you put funny.
2: all of those yeah. things together, it's just, you know, it's, it's a very powerful formula.
1: I got a degree, One of the, one, I went to one of the schools at the time that had a sales uh, program. So my degree was in professional selling. So ironically, to your point, you know, I came out of there, I, I look back on it now and I think of all the things I learned and all the skills I developed, you know, and it was really all the things I did outside of that education. Um, Well, I'm guessing that it probably was more... uh, Here's what it probably was. So it's mostly you learned was
2: marketing, not sales. So they'll teach you about all the stuff that they don't... It's not actually about face-to-face or over-the-phone selling. It's about more things like the philosophy of sales
1: and finding the right... You know, it's more marketing stuff. Well, you know what they didn't talk about? And it was almost like they didn't like talking about it, is the thing we love talking about, and that's closing. You know, Mm -hmm. it was all... It was long term, more more relationship building, multiple touch points. You know, in, in in our world, that just doesn't work. You know, it's a one call close environment. Um, so you know, but look, let me ask you about that because I think it's a important thing you bring up, and I think it has merit, especially for what we're doing on the Garasso side. Can that work? What you've developed would that work well for a smaller company that's looking just for one or two new sales reps, or is that only for larger organizations? Um, for me, I I I'm not. But that doesn't
2: work for me because what happens is, you know, what I'm what I'm doing with companies, I, I am investing on my side, a massive amount of money and resources in integrating their training and their philosophies into my, I have like, you know, I have a whole infrastructure here that's designed. Cause remember that like when you think about it, it sounds really good in principle, but it becomes a logistical nightmare if you don't really have this wired, you know, and you don't have it down exactly right because what you're doing is, is you're taking someone and then you're gonna train them in a company, and the idea is that you want to have them trained as if they were being trained by that company, but ten thousand times better. So, in order to do that correctly, there's two types of training: there's foundational training, then there's industry and company specific training. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I could do I could do it foundationally. For any industry, for a two or a three, so once two say, so yeah, I can train them foundationally, but I can't commit the type of resources that I commit where I'm hiring instructors on people's behalf, and I'm I'm actually sta- I'm like you understand it's like it's a it's like it's imagine like the way people outsource like for you know um uh, you know operations will have like you know two hundred people uh, working in some place in India to do to do what, all your back office operations right. Well, you would never do that for one person because the amount of money it takes to integrate to get the program going doesn't work. Now, in my case, I'm not keeping them on my books. They're not my salespeople. They're actually going to, so it's not an outsourced or a staffing solution. It's not that. I'm actually building their sales force, but there is that period, this revolving period here where there's a very large investment on my side. I'll, I don't ask them to make the, I make that investment on my side, but in return, I need to make sure that, you know, once they see the result, that, you know, the, the, that the upside for me is a long-term contract that allows me to recruit my initial investment. And then so there's a lot of software costs that go into it and everything. But, but when you look at the savings to a company, it's staggering. So there's a certain break point I would say it's probably, you know, over you know, 20, 30 salespeople a year that makes it make some sense. Um, but you know, it's designed. We have we, I have people that you know ought, that are contracts, 500 salespeople a year. You know, so like like find volume, you know, volume recruiting, okay? Where I'm right. going out there with like, you know, 10, you know, you know, fifty thousand applications. So it gets complex. But, you know, to me, my, the, you know, I had to hire a CTO and build all these systems and all. It's very, very complicated to do. But once you do it and you see the results, it's like literally night and day to a company, you're eliminating by far what's their greatest pain point, and which is turnover of salespeople, poor training, poor results, inability to scale, Massive, attrition. you know, poor first-year job performance. Massive attrition. So by by doing, and it's so much of it has to do with a the wrong people being chosen in the first place, and b they show up not trained correctly. Then it's this catch-up ball. And catch-up ball doesn't work very well in the real world. You know, you're behind the eight ball, and you're always two steps behind and people, and you've probably seen this happen, but companies that give draws, you start giving someone a draw against commission, they don't perform before you know it, they're so far behind on their draw, they can't get out from under it and it mm-hmm. becomes a vicious cycle, right? So oh, yeah. so in addition, I I have my, and I guess I'm getting my students to pay for the cost of the training. I take it off the balance sheet of the company so I'm saving the company a massive amount of money on on that regard too. Now what ends up happening you know is the students end up getting that money credited back to them by the company so it's all it's a, it's a whole in other words it's it's a very it's it's a complex it took a while to get it right but now that it's running it's incredible. So yeah, so we so we are expanding this around the world. So, you know, we, we started in the United States now and it's going like gangbusters and we're going, you know, we have five industries specifically that we're launching in. And then um, I you know, my next step will be Mexico and England and uh, Australia There's like four or five markets we'll go to next. But again, the key to this whole thing is, is that, you know, the recruiting business for the most part is just, it's just ridiculous. It's mm-hmm. idiotic. And the way recruiters get compensated, they take 15% of the first year side. We don't do that. We don't need to do that because we'll we'll take our money on a success fee after the salesperson stays for long enough. So, you know, they've. So, if I'm going to, I'm not going to charge you for your salespeople up front. I'm so confident that we'll, that you get a uh, pay me, pay me the success fee comes, pay a small amount up front, but the real money comes after the salesperson has stayed and you've recouped your investment. So, it's, it's all an right. Well, we need five over here. love
1: it too. <laughs> We'll take five right now if you got them. Uh, no,
2: I know it's it's a good formula, but again, it, but the reason it works for me is because it's on volume. So when you sure. do it on volume, you you do it two people. Who knows what's gonna happen? You know, you, it's like the law of averages, large numbers. It starts to really so. If, like, if someone wants fifty salespeople, I'll put seventy through a program. Yeah. Knowing it's like Navy SEALs, Buds camp, 10 will wash out and they'll ring the bell and I'll throw 10 out. Cause I don't like them because they're just weak pieces of shit. Right. But what you end up with is 50 really, really talented, hardworking people. Yeah, that's we just story. made a
0: video on that, Nick and I, about the cost of a missed hire in our industry. It could be upwards of 20, 30, 40 grand or more. Oh, that's and crazy. Com- and companies are constantly, it's like the revolving door because they don't recruit the right people, they don't train them and support them and manage them the right way. Yeah. And it, they're kind of just spinning their wheels. Um, now, one thing I wanted to talk about, kind of, uh, you know, changing gears a little bit, you have obviously a lot of crazy stuff on the the Wolf of Wall Street, what you've done to motivate salespeople and reward them. And you know, you've had marching bands come in and stuff, but if you were to highlight, what are some of the the craziest things you've done to reward your sales team or motivate your sales team?
2: Well, I mean, you, know, <laughs> you, gotta, you have to remember that, um, you know, it's a different time today. <laughs>
0: yeah exactly <laughs> you,
2: know, you know you know the world has changed you know it's, you know in some ways for the worse, some ways for the better i guess um yeah you know you know, i i look look at it this way you know i um there's this there's something you know called the herd mentality you know mm-hmm. what we hear about today is herd you hear about herd immunity today now let's talk about a better version <laughs> of the herd which is called herd mentality it's like what you see happen like in uh in brazil or argentina and uh And, uh, you know, there's a soccer stadium and there's 100,000 people. They're all very nice and peaceful people and, and, you know, wonderful people, family people who go to church on Sundays. But they have one too many drops of alcohol and the wrong team loses and someone blows a whistle. They could be pulling down the freaking street lamps and turning over cars. Like in large groups, people act very differently than they do one at a time, right? So we had a a room with 3,000 people in it. You know, thousand. You know, you know how many people. That's like, like the biggest room we've ever seen, filled with people all mm-hmm. making millions, at least a million a year. Well, I shouldn't say that because you know you had the the trainees in the back. So, but like you know, you, you had people making millions of dollars, and everyone aspiring to make that. You had a lot of very, very attractive young women there, um, <laughs> and everyone was doing drugs and mm-hmm. you know so it became like like rome like the Colosseum, like this it was like the pits of the Colosseum where you had to have like acts of depravity to quell the masses the angry masses so it was mm-hmm. almost like diversionary in some point as much as motivational that you you know you have these things going on everyone's like pointing and clapping and cheering at the latest bit of insanity and it sort of bonded everyone together maybe they didn't worry about what they were going hungry like in Rome there was a bread shortage oh let's, just, let's, let's feed some people to the lions they like that so so it was like you know so it was some some of that was going on but i mean you know, we were doing things that you know some of them i'm not proud of for sure you know and some of the things that made sense when i was 24 years old and 25 where it was like you know it was like broker disneyland basically you know it was for adults and um so we yeah i mean we had some crazy stuff
1: going on there and you were doing motivational speeches, right? Now, is it true? Did you do several of those a day? And were the were those rehearsed every or was that day. something? Did you need to no, rehearse every, for no. those or did you just go right off the no. cuff? Off the cuff, every single... The straight line
2: system was invented because of those meetings that, you know, you know, when I first hit on the idea of the straight line, um, it was at one of those meetings. And then every single day, just, you know, for the first few months after I invented it, they would just tape me, whatever would come out of my mouth, it was uh, you know transcribed and then put into a, a manual it ultimately became like the sort of blueprint for how someone would come into the company and um, become a top producer. We had a, a success rate that was as, about as close to 100% as you can get. The only time someone would not succeed is if they couldn't pass their test. They couldn't actually become brokers. Anyone mm-hmm. that was able to pass their test would, would make money, it was 100% guarantee, and then they ended up solving that problem in a way that I was that I was not happy about. I didn't find out about it until many years later but there was a whole ring of people like you know cheating on tests and take you know they were hiring people to take tests. People got indicted at my company for doing that. I you know, we, you know it was a big company we had no idea that was going on. There was like there was things happening like the whole thing with hookers in the basement we had no I, I had no idea that was going on until years mm-hmm. later. There was just some some enterprising kid there who had a friend in the mob and they <laughs> like if, if there's so much going on you know this casino's happening is like its own independent
0: society. One exercise you did that you talked about in your book, The Way of the Wolf, that I actually, after I read it, I started implementing into my sales meetings because I think a lot of people talk about the successes and the sales. And of course, it's good to recognize a salesperson per, for good performance. But one thing you did is let's get all the objections on the table that we that we had yesterday, right? Because you, you, you had your salespeople saying, we have running into millions of objections. We keep... There's no yeah. way we can overcome these, right? You said, let's get them all on the table right now. And you write them up on the board. And I've actually conducted sales meetings that way after listening to your book where, you know, let's talk about the deals we didn't close, what those objections were. Let's get them all laid out. And the basically, we're going to go through step yeah. by step. Now, here's how you overcome that. I think mm-hmm. that's great.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, that was that actually was what caused me to invent the straight line. It was that whole process. It was that, that meeting where I said to them, um, you know, come on, tell me, you know, what the objection, What? What do? You, why can't you guys close? And they're like, there's so many objections. <laughs> yeah. and,
0: and when you say, like I was like, 15 really 15 great.
2: Said, like a no, they said let's write. I said they said there's a thousand objections. I said great, let's write all all thousand down. And I pressed them to actually come up with every conceivable objections. Which at the end of the day turned out to be fourteen or fifteen of them. And yeah. even those, half of them were repeats of two. You know, I need to speak to my wife, my partner, my aunt, my lawyer, my accountant, or it's Christmas time. It's a bad time. It's back to school time. It's tax time. Right. And I, and, and to me, that was when I looked at those objections, it was only like seven or eight of them that were real, you know, in the sense that they were actually things that someone could say. And I, and it was like, I looked at these guys and guys, you don't get it. I mean, this is so ridiculous. Even these objections don't matter. Like, don't you guys get it? And I, I said to them, those, these first words. That really was the, the, the invention of the straight line. Mm-hmm. I said, guys, every sale's the same. Mm-hmm. And they were like, what? They, they, they gave me this look like, you know, I meaning every sale's the same, every sale's not the same, every sale's different. People have different needs, different values, different beliefs, different pain points. How could every sale be the same, right? And, and, I, and I could see in their eyes, like they were just not, they, that, that idea that every sale's the same was like a patent impossibility to them. Every sale seemed different. And I was like, guys, every sale is the same watch. And I was just trying to think, I like, and, I, and I popped in my mind, I'm like, it's a straight line. And I drew the straight line on the board for the first time. And I put a big, thick X on either end, So said, this is your open where the sale begins, and this is your close, where the client says, yeah, let's do it. And, and what happened was, is like, by creating this visual, it, it ignited something in my mind and all of their minds, like and that something was actually like, to me, the whole thing was so simple as a natural born closer at the highest level. Listen, there's natural born closers and then there's me. <laughs> no, there's a, <laughs> no, there's natural born closers. Freaks and then there's nature, yeah. a, a few, A few. Not. I'm not the only one, but there are a few freaks of nature in the world. Very few that have a special God given ability, whatever it might be. My mother dropped me in my head, whatever it might be. Okay, I have a special ability and there's no denying. I, I do have that. Everyone who knows me knows that I do, right? and and to me it was so simple i'm like i'm like i'm like don't you guys see how simple this all is every single conversation is the same yeah and then it then but once i said that and drew the line i'm like wait a second i realized that the reason it's the same for me is because there was something i was doing right from the start that was allowing me to take control of the sale and because I was taking control of the sale, it allowed me to make every sale. Like for me, as someone that went out, in those first few seconds, there was something I was saying, doing, sounding, acting, like whatever it was, there was something about the way I was being perceived that people said, wow, I'm gonna defer and let this guy guide me through hmm. this process. And what it ended up being, as I started to unpack it that night, was like, I'm being perceived, number one, as being sharp on the ball. Number two, enthusiastic as hell, and most important of all, an expert in my field. We have been conditioned since we're yay big, since we're little kids, to defer to experts. We've been conditioned to seek out experts to help us solve our problems, eliminate our pain points. And when we are in the presence of someone that we perceive to be an expert, what do we do? We don't interrupt them, we defer, we let them guide the process. So I had this special something about me, but the way, whether it was either on the phone or in person, it was my sound of my voice, the way the words I would say, the, the beat and the, the tonalities, whatever, all those things that people say, damn. This is not the average person I speak to. So they would allow me then to control the conversation. And once I had control, then I could run the same predictable strategy every time. And then to unpack it more, what I realized that night was so what I'm basically doing is in my mind, I know there are certain things I must accomplish. There are certain things that have to occur in the other person's mind, in my prospects mind, I need them thinking certain things that they're not thinking right now, or at least not at a high enough, or most certain enough level. So now I have to go about actually making my client believe, feel, and understand certain core principles. And I created this this concept of like, a, of what's called the three tens of like, you know, a one being, you know, the worst possible outcome, 10 being the best possible case when it comes to certainty. So imagine if you're trying to sell someone home improvement and you want to sell someone some windows and when you ask them for the order to buy these windows, the people are thinking those are the stupidest, ugliest, most, you know, cheapest, ugly windows I've ever seen in my life. I would never put these windows in. They're gonna crack, they'll leak, they're gonna cost me more money because the you know, heat-wise is gonna escape out of there. They're mm-hmm. disgusting. Ugh, those windows smell, they like probably have bugs inside. Those windows are gonna be like, they're gonna destroy <laughs> my life, and if I install them, I will die. <laughs>
0: That's, a That's like a
2: one. That's a one.
0: <laughs> and Jordan, that, that, that very thing is why, you know, we love having you at our event because you know we've looked at a lot of different sales gurus and sales trainers and the whole concept of your straight line system it fits perfectly with the way our grasso system is engineered because basically what we always say is when you conduct a master presentation and you run you front load the process the right way the close is the natural conclusion to the appointment right so again if you front load the process and the things we're trying to sell our prospects on are of course ourselves as the expert in the field, sharp as a especially in home improvements, right? Because you're selling an unfinished good that needs to be installed. So that trust factor on you and your company need to be off the charts, right? So yeah. I
2: said it was the product, right? But it's not just the product. They also have to trust the salesperson at a very high. So imagine like the one for the windows is the biggest piece of shit. The 10 is the most amazing windows in the world. They're beautiful, they're sturdy, they're gonna save me money. That's a 10, right? The same thing goes for the salesperson. They have to trust you, the salesperson, and they also have to trust the company that stands behind the product, that's gonna do the installation, that's gonna do the maintenance. So when those three elements are lined up at a very high level in someone's mind, you have an excellent shot of closing them. If even one is missing, then you have no shot at all. And what happens is, for someone like me, a natural born closer, what I was doing without thinking about it, unconsciously, I would take control of the conversation and then start guiding people through a process that allowed me to corral these three core elements in their mind at a very high level, ask for the order in the right way, and then begin another process of reinforcement where I actually go back and then start looping. And by doing that, it allowed me to overcome any objection to close it at a ridiculously high level that would be otherwise impossible for someone that was not a natural born closer. And what happened with the straight line is it allowed someone who was not gifted in this department in selling to adopt the identical strategy. It allowed me to transfer my strategy into any other person. And once you did that, you'd watch these people who could barely walk and chew gum at the same time. They couldn't sell their way out of a paper bag would become world-class closers in a matter of days. So, so it works so well because once you give someone those skill sets, then they start to work harder because they know they're going to get the right outcome and so forth.
0: Yeah. And that's the greatest fulfillment that we get out of what we do is seeing people transform themselves that quickly. Because, you know, we've we've trained people that come into our organization that are homeless, living out of their cars. They don't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. And you give them that gift, right, that tool that they've never had of understanding that process and giving them that confidence to go out there and kill it. And all of a sudden, you see them a year later. They're buying the the, the dream house and the dream car, and they're getting married. And it's just that that transformation is very fulfilling for what we do here. So, so yeah. how do
1: you how do you guys feel? I mean, I know Dominic obviously. I've known him for years, but you know, from your perspective, Jordan, I think that we talk a lot about training salespeople, finding them, motivating them. From a leadership standpoint, obviously, guys like yourself, Dominic, myself, you know, they're not readily available off the street. Uh, how do you how do you how would you tell a company? You know, what's the best route to take to find and develop and, and groom that leadership to do all those things that you know that it's, that frankly, people just don't do. Right. So obviously,
2: as part of this new company, this new division of my company, I also obviously focus on providing them with trained leaders as well, because it is important to have leaders. You know one of the things that we see in all, all parts of life, especially in sports, is the best players don't always Mm -hmm. make the best coaches. You have some people that are great players and they just are horrifically bad when it comes to coaching people to do the same thing. In fact, it's the most destructive thing a company can do very often is to take a top producer and say your reward is your sales matches. Now you take your guy who's making you all this money and who possesses Mm -hmm. all these great skill sets, And now you make them into a manager and they suck at the job and they, you lose their production. They make less money, very problematic. That's not to say that there aren't people out there who are top producers, but who also um, can manage effectively. So there are certain, there's certain protocols and, and there's like a, you know, a 10 step process that I use to train managers and, and to, to make sure that when you do put someone in, you don't do something, which is the worst thing of all is alienate your existing sales force. I've seen more companies fall down by trying to bring someone in from the outside to manage a sales force and it literally destroys the entire culture um, and cost them dearly and they have to almost start from scratch again. So it's a very tricky thing about how you bring in the right managers. So typically what you do there is you have, you know, it's you have to make it a very gradual, you, you, what you never want to do with the successful operation is you never want to um, do instant change. You You want to test things very small and you want to like phase one program out slowly and add a new program in just as slowly. However, if a company just sucks the root and they just, du- then you can make instant changes. But what you don't wanna do, if you have a successful company, and this is really important, guys, everyone's listening to this, if you have a successful company and you think, well, my sales manager sucked, don't, if you try to just make an instant change, you really risk blowing your culture. Um, so be very, very careful about replacing and bringing in people from the outside. It's got to be done carefully, slowly, diligently. And also it has to do with how you groom people moving up through the ranks. So I like to groom people, but you do it slowly. Then you see, you don't just take someone off the phone or out from the field and turn them into a manager. You phase them into it very slowly. So then maybe they're spending now 90% of their day selling 10% managing. And then you see how that goes. You slowly start giving them more responsibility. In terms of what those responsibilities are, there are certain defined things that I teach in terms of how you coach people that are in your, you know, how many sales are in your group, so to speak, uh, in your purview, um, you know, you know, how you promote people up from within, how you give bonuses, what your compensation period should look like, what your meetings should look like. Um, there's, there's a lot of different variables there, but the biggest thing to worry, to watch out for is taking a top producer and trying to make him to a sales manager just because he's a top producer.
0: Yeah, those are all very hot topics right now, you know, recruiting, leadership, management, sales meetings, all that stuff. And another thing that of course is, you know, hot as heck right now is virtual selling. And, you know, I didn't want this whole meeting to be based around that, but I couldn't help but think, you know, where Jordan really cut his teeth and really took his life to a whole new level was in a way remote selling because you're you're calling on the phone, and one thing, there's such a negative st- stigma in the home improvement industry about virtual selling. A lot of people think it can't be done. And the people that are doing it, we find that they're half-assing it. Their their technique and their sales strategy actually gets far worse virtual selling. And one thing we're trying to really teach people is, if I'm selling someone remotely on a phone or virtually, I need to be even more polished, more dynamic, more focused on those non-verbals that you train on. So I think that's what some you could really bring to the table in terms of virtual selling in this industry is educating people that tonality, even your body language, but your voice inflection. And that's something that you hammer on in your book that I absolutely love, by the way. And ever since hearing you go in depth on tonality and body language, especially being 90 percent of the equation, hammering on salespeople to make sure that they're they're practicing those things. Right. So why do you feel that virtual selling, especially you need to be more in your A game and that tonality, that voice inflection, those nonverbals are even more important. The straight line
2: system was invented for distance selling I mean it was it was, a, it was the, the problem I faced was Correct. exactly how do you get someone who you will never see, never meet send you a million dollars
1: yeah
0: seems exactly.
2: like an impossible you know, for someone they never met investing in a stock they never heard of to in sending their money to a company they never heard of it was it seemed like an implausible thing to do it wouldn't be possible. Um, I proved that it was possible. So when this whole thing happened, I started laughing. I wasn't laughing because it was very sad, this this pandemic, but I was like, wow, if there ever was like something that the straight line was designed for, it was distance persuasion because exactly, that's yeah. what, I, you know, I, I ended up, it, it just so happens it works just as well in person because you're still selling, but it was designed for distance persuasion. So yeah. yes, I mean, right now I've gotten, that's why I said my business has picked up dramatically Because any company that was you know had any questions they're like oh my god what, look what this guy did he did it when there was you know all over the <laughs> phone or when you couldn't go to someone's home and once you start using the phone and you understand the power of the phone and for that matter zoom calls or skype or whatever you go to whatever you want to use all right to to communicate with someone you could even see them face to face technology's not quite as good as it should be um, there's reasons for that. I'm sure it will get better over the short term because now it's, it's been a move in that area. Like the cameras are in the wrong spot. The camera needs to be right in the middle of the phone screen. So you can be looking someone in the eye and seeing them at the same time versus trying to look, if you want to look someone in the eye and I have to look up at a green, I have to look at yeah. camera, but you're down there. So I'm no longer, I can no longer look at your body language. If I try to look at your body language and your facial expressions, then I'm not looking you in the eye. So there's a problem with that right now. So the technology has mm-hmm. got to get a bit better. You know, it's the way they you know, use right now teleprompters where I can look at a teleprompter and and that's how I can be, uh, be looking at you in the eye but seeing your buying So that's one way around it, but not everyone has a teleprompter, right? Um, but they'll fix that. Um, but other than that, it is so easy to close on the phone, guys. I've been doing mm-hmm. it with solar companies right now and I have some guy who, who's literally increases production like 600% using Mm -hmm. the straight line because he's no longer knocking on people's doors. Now he's closing solar by phone. Now, obviously he studied the straight line, he knows all the techniques and you know, he's got a great program there. So I think the, the, the idea is, is that if you're gonna be using the phone to close home improvement, the real magic lies not just in using the straight line, but, but A, integrating the straight line throughout the entire lead gen process. So in other words, you want you need to bring the person into the phone conversation at a higher level of certainty before you even get on the phone and start straight line them. So mm-hmm. what you're gonna do here is we're gonna start using straight line techniques. And what we do with, with Solar, I've done it already. It works so well, it's ridiculous. Is you you actually embed straight line tactics into your marketing, and and there's a way that you can do this that you bring someone into the conversation at a much higher level of certainty than you would otherwise. And by doing that,
1: the closing rate soars. Yeah, in our call center, we're we're doing that now. We flipped into virtual. I'd say right now we're in we're in Michigan and Illinois. That's where our offices are located. So next to New York and California, we're still we're in some of the most shut down states. So about 50% of our business is virtual, but that that call center is, is doing a lot more with that prospect prior to that that scheduled virtual call with the sales rep. And I see that working well. It kind of gets them familiar with uh, yeah. the technology and that, we're gonna of course be using. It's
2: using the straight line at a very high level on the call.
1: Correct.
0: Yeah, we see there's a lot of resistance for companies to adopt virtual selling at all in our industry, just because it's so foreign to them, they just can't wrap their minds around it. But I think if they can just think in simple terms, the methodology does not change whether you're face to face or virtual. And one thing I'm, you know, Nick and I both agree. I think you even need to be more on your game when you're doing those distance sales, because you don't have that physical interaction. You know, I can't put the product in their hand, have them touch and feel, engage their senses. So all those things that you train on those nonverbal elements, I think are so important. And that's crazy that you talked about the eye contact, because that's something that I never heard people talking about. And we've been talking about that in our training but I never even thought about what you just mentioned that these manufacturers need to move the camera down. So they need to make that's so been the bothering the hell them. out of me. You know, you're trying, cause we run virtual meetings now and you're trying to look at the person in the eye, right? At least 75% of the time. And you can't cause the cameras. Yeah,
2: no, it's, a huge, it's a huge issue. I've, so I've already spoken to manufacturers about this and um, there, there's, there'll be <laughs> solutions coming out surely because if you're going to really sell virtually right now you, you really can't do it effectively. Let, let me say that. You can, but with a few tweaks to technology, it's gonna get even that much more effective. So the straight line allows you to offset some of the the uh, the problems that exist right now. But I'm telling you that in the next 24 to 36 months, uh, you're gonna see that there's gonna, there's gonna be, um, you know, I'm already adapting the straight line right now to this, um, you know, this new, I don't even wanna say the new normal, okay? Um, but I, I'm, I'm just, number one, let me just tell you flat out guys, door-to-door sales is not over by any stretch of the imagination by any stretch. Mm-hmm. In fact, door-to-door sales will be bigger and better than ever when this is all over because mm-hmm. more people will work from home. So you'll have more people that are at home, more doors to knock on when both decision makers are home at the same time. So there's mm-hmm. going to be even more people for you to go to. There's going to be a fundamental shift, paradigm shift to working from home. That's huge for door-to-door. Um, and when you combine that with the ability to use the phone, using the straight line more effectively, straight line works just as well door to door. It's the same thing, but you can distance persuade without any loss. You can in fact, you'll, you'll, you'll literally double your volume because of all the time that you save from not having to go from house to house.
0: Yeah. That's what we were, we had a whole webinar on It's just like the advantages of selling remotely.
1: Yeah. I wish they'd figure out a way to get that camera somehow behind the screen. You know, so you, so we're looking at each other. Yeah, you just eye. use a, a teleprompter. So,
0: well, Jordan, you need to patent that. You need to come up with that yourself, call it like wolf vision or something, like the the unique way for you to maintain eye contact virtually. I know, yeah, right?
1: <laughs> um, Jordan, I, I followed all your videos, you know, leading up to this pandemic. I thought it was pretty amazing how you were calling the shots, you know, one video to the next. I wish I could say you were wrong, but you, you know, you're right. I, I don't know that we have to go down that rabbit hole, but. You know, you're you're a, obviously a very successful guy. You were extremely successful when you were in a young age, in the right place, in that in that in that era. What would you say now? You know, if you and of course you could say home improvement if you'd like, but you know, what do you think for that young gunner out there that wants to make fifty million dollars a year in this climate? You know, what do you see that place being? What's well, the hot? I, what's the I hot industry? Drill, you know, broadly speaking, there's there's two
2: ways to make tons of money in this world. One is to own your own business, to start a business and build it. The second way is to be a salesman, salesperson, and to work on commission. And then you can own your own business within someone else's business. And as soon as you start thinking of sales as an entrepreneurial, you know, um, job, it's like not... You can't look at yourself as a salesperson like you're on a paycheck. That's not that's not the sales I teach people. The people that I teach in sales, they're you're looking to make a lot of money. And, and, mm-hmm. they, and they're thinking about it like they own their own business. And they can build that business and then take the profits and invest it in things like real estate and in the market and other things. And develop second and third sources of income. But it starts... There's no better way to begin than with being a salesperson because all the greatest CEOs, they're all great salespeople. I don't care. Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Steve Jobs, they're all amazing salespeople. They're persuaders. Mm -hmm. They're able to sell their vision to people. You need to be able to do this. It's a required skill.
0: Now, of course, our event coming up in March, we got you slotted for two 90-minute sessions, I believe is what we were talking about. But, you know, if you're that home improvement contractor that's wondering, it's like, you know, why would I fly across country to come see Jordan Belford on stage in the home improvement industry? I guess, what are some of the big takeaways you feel that that audience would get from coming to our event, our closers camp? And of course, being able to see you live on stage in person, uh, what are some of the things that they can look forward to coming to that event?
2: Well, I mean, listen, you know, I'm there to teach people how to make more money at whatever it is you're doing. What I'm not there to do is sell you a business opportunity. Like I, I, I I hate this space out there where they, you know, where they sell you things that are going to change your life. And because I'm going to show you how to go into a new business, I'm not saying that I'm saying I'm going to make you better at what you're doing now. Mm -hmm. So there's no smoke and mirrors here. I'm just going to teach you a skill. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be showing you how to do what you're doing and just get a much better result by being a better closer. And yeah. you know, I don't know of any system in the world that that's as famous as mine or as well known as mine or has created as many million-dollar producers as mine. And it's been around for a while and it keeps getting better and better every single month because we keep making it better and better and ironically it seems to come full circle now with corona where it's back to distance persuasion again but either way it doesn't matter because you know the ability to influence and persuade is a required course for you when you choose to take it that's up to you but until you take this course and really perfect it you're gonna have a lot of pain in your life all right that's the bottom line so I would urge you all to come to Chicago. In the meantime, I think I'm giving everyone a free training here um, for you guys <laughs> who are listening just to help you out right now. So you go to jordanbelfort.com slash, I think it's Grosso, G R O S S O, right? Yep, and I'll yes, give sir. you guys a, fr- a free straight line training. It's the introduction to a diploma level course I have. And my free trainings are not like free, enter your credit card, and then I'll bill you. No, no. You just, It's just free. You don't have to enter your credit card. It's just my gift to everyone here. I would really urge you all to accept that gift because um, A, it doesn't cost you anything and B, it's life-changing. Remember, what yep. you invest in yourself is gonna be the
1: barometer of how your life ends up going over the long term. Yeah, we love the authenticity. Obviously, that's why we, we're having you. We're really excited. And we're really happy that you joined us today. We appreciate all the time. And uh, hopefully everything's going out well for you out there in California. They start to loosen up a little. Hopefully very soon.
0: That's awesome, Jordan. Well, again, we appreciate you being on our first ever. Yes, I'm a closer podcast, the one and only Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort, definitely look into a straight line system, guys. We wouldn't have him on our podcast if we didn't believe in it ourselves. And we know it can change your business, help you grow exponentially more and make sure, again, you're reserving that ticket. Get first in line because we do have limited capacity for our closers camp. He's going to be there March 1st, so don't hesitate. Tickets are going to go on sale very quickly. And make sure you line up for that. It's going to be a, a training event unlike any other. Like Jordan said, this is not a cellathon. You're going to get a world-class education the entire time from start to finish. And you're going to come out sharp as a tack. All right, we appreciate it. Thanks for uh, giving us your time. And as always, yes, you are a closer.
1: Thank you, Jordan. We appreciate you. You
0: got it. <laughs>